Good morning. My name is Mitchell Slater. I'm one of the members here at River Oaks. And I would love to invite you to open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. So we'll be continuing our study of Ephesians today in Ephesians chapter 1. And I just want to thank Chris for taking the last month to unpack the glories of the gospel in verses 3 through 14 of chapter 1. This is really Paul's hymn of praise to the triune God. It's his doxology to the work of the Father and the Son and the Spirit in the redemption of his people. And our passage this morning is really the climax. It's the, the crescendo of this symphony. And so let's Let's read it. Our, our text this morning is Ephesians chapter 1, verses 11 through 14. But let's read the whole passage one more time, starting at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. And here's our passage for today. In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. This is the word of the Lord. Back in the early 2000s, there's a news story about a, a homeless man in Bolivia. And this man, he had spent decades living on the streets. He was deeply addicted to drugs and alcohol. And so his life had just become hopeless and spiraling out of control. Unbeknownst to him, a relative passed away. And having no spouse and no children, they left this man an inheritance of $6 million. Absolutely life-changing for this man. Well, the estate had trouble finding him. He was living on the streets. And so they asked the local police if they would help look for him uh, to bring him this good news. And they agreed but when the man got news that the police were looking for him, he thought they were coming to arrest him for his substance abuse. And so he fled. He ran away and hid himself 
and he never received his inheritance. How often do we live our lives in self-imposed poverty? Because if we're in Christ, we have a glorious inheritance, which we will see in this text today. Yet we so often live like spiritual beggars. This morning, you may be going through a trial and it seems like there's no hope. Or you may be tempted hard with sin. Or you may just struggle to find a meaning in the mundane realities of day-to-day life. But no matter where you're at this morning, you need to know that in Christ, you have obtained an inheritance. And if you're here this morning and you are not in Christ, I want you to know that God is coming to you through this text with good news to offer you an inheritance. So let's look at this text. And I just want to ask two questions of it. There's two questions of the passage. What is our inheritance? And is our inheritance safe? What is our inheritance? And is our inheritance safe? So first, what's our inheritance? Let's read the first part of verse 11 again. In Him, that is in Christ, we have obtained an inheritance. Now I'm reading from from the ESV, from the English Standard Version. But some of you may have a different translation and you may see something different here. Because some translations have it like mine where they say something along the lines of, in Him we have obtained an inheritance. (laughs) While others say, in Him we have been obtained as God's inheritance. And if you go to the Greek, which I'm not, not good at, but if you go there, it's, it's vague. It could go either way. The phrase could be accurately and faithfully translated either way. But do you see the difference? Is Paul talking about Christians receiving an inheritance? Or is he talking about Christians becoming God's inheritance? So let's look at the context to figure this out. Earlier... In chapter 1, verse 5, Paul told us that God predestined us for adoption as sons. And elsewhere, like in Romans 8, he says that if we're sons, then we're heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. So so that solves it. We're the ones receiving an inheritance. Not so fast. Because also in the context of Ephesians 1, in verse 18, Paul prays this for the Ephesians. He prays that having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? Did you hear that? Paul talks about his, that is God's inheritance in the saints. The saints, the people of God have become his inheritance. So which one is it? Are we God's inheritance or do we receive an inheritance? The answer, unsurprisingly, is a glorious yes. In Christ, both of these realities are wondrously true and both of them 
are linked together. It's summed up well in Revelation 21, verse 7, where John says, The one who conquers will have this heritage or this inheritance, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. We belong to God, and he belongs to us. We get him, and he gets us. We really get the sweet end of the deal. We could say it this way. In Christ, we have become God's inheritance and God has become our inheritance. In Christ, we have become God's inheritance and God has become our inheritance. Let's look at these one at a time. First, we are God's inheritance. The context of Ephesians 1 is all about God redeeming a people for himself. This wasn't a new concept. Jewish Christians who would have read this text would have immediately known what he was talking about. They grew up with the Old Testament. They grew up with passages like Deuteronomy 4 verse 20. The Lord has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace, out of Egypt, to be a people of his own inheritance. Or Psalm 33 verse 12. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom He has chosen as His heritage. Or Exodus 19, verses 5-6, through which Peter quoted in our call to worship this morning, where God says, You will be my special possession out of all the nations, for all the earth is mine, and you will be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. The Old Testament scriptures are clear that God has claimed for himself an inheritance, namely Israel, the people of God. Now look with me where Paul goes in verses 12 through 14. We can see this. He's making a profound point here that's easy to miss because we need to pay attention to the pronouns. I know the, the glory's in the pronouns. Okay. So verses 12 through 14. Paul says, so that we who who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. In Him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance. We, you, our. I believe what he's saying is this. We, Jews, were the first to hope in Christ. Right? The gospel is to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. We went, spent two years in Matthew. Jesus didn't leave Israel. He came for the lost sheep of Israel. But once he was ascended and enthroned as the king of kings, now the gospel is going to the ends of the earth. Right? But he's saying, we Jews were the first ones to hope in Christ. And you Gentiles, you Gentiles have been included as well. And now we both share in the same inheritance together. We have the same status. Both Jew and Gentile, by faith in Christ, have been claimed as God's glorious inheritance, as his treasured possession. I want to pause for just a moment, make this point. Paul is clear that there is no elite subset of Christians. 
There's no A team and B team, no regular Christians and super Christians. Because we tend to think that when we first believe, we get the, the basic package inheritance. <laughs> but then we have to earn the deluxe package. That we'll upgrade to that next level when we get baptized or speak in tongues or embrace Reformed theology or go on a mission trip or read the Bible through in a year or whatever. And all of those things may be good things, but they don't add a single thing to our status and our standing before Almighty God. Now, whether we tend to feel superior to others or whether we tend to feel inferior or maybe both on the same day, we need to know that in Christ, we have all been equally claimed by the Father as his glorious inheritance, as his possession. So since we have become God's inheritance, now God has become our inheritance. God has chosen to redeem a people for himself out of Adam's fallen race on which he can lavish the riches of his grace and bless with every spiritual blessing. This is good news. Remember the story of the prodigal son. We so often just focus on the younger brother there who claims his inheritance early, goes to a foreign land, squanders it, and comes back. And the father upon his son's return, greets him. He gives him a robe and a ring and a kiss and a feast. And at that feast, there's one person that's not happy, the older brother, the brother who had been faithful, the brother who had stayed with his father, who had been a good son. And he's upset that his scoundrel of a brother is receiving all of this celebration. But the father comes with grace to him as well. And he has these words to say to him, Son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. And I want you to hear those words coming from God the Father to your soul right now. Son, daughter, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. The greatest treasure that a Christian could ever inherit and will inherit is God himself. God is the greatest treasure and gift of the gospel. And Paul, he gives us two beautiful pictures of this, adoption and marriage. We have been adopted by God. Again, going back to verse 5. I've heard it said that the gospel is the good news that the Father has gone to the orphanage and He's gone out back to the graveyard and raised us from the dead and adopted us as His sons. He gets us as His son and we get Him as our Father. And though we were once strangers and orphans through our sin, we have been adopted as sons and made co-heirs, joint heirs, fellow heirs with Christ. And His inheritance becomes our inheritance. 
all that is his becomes ours. This is absolutely stunning. So we are sons of God. We are also the bride of Christ. To skip forward a few chapters to chapter 5. In a real sense, the gospel is the message that Christ, the righteous and resplendent prince of heaven, has chosen to take a filthy, wretched harlot and claim her as his glorious bride without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. And we can imagine Christ wedding us, his bride. We can imagine the wedding vows. The harlot says to the prince, all that I am I give to you and all that I have I share with you. And in a moment, all of her sin and shame is given to Christ, never to be seen again. The death she deserved has fallen to her bridegroom, and all of her debts are paid in full. Then Jesus, the royal heir, says to the harlot, All that I am I give to you, and all that I have I share with you. And in a moment, she becomes a gloriously awe-inspiring queen. Her status is royalty. Her life is secure. Her riches unlimited. Her name is beloved. She's been made an heir of the kingdom through the death of her bridegroom. And now we can say of Christ, I am my beloved, and my beloved is mine. That's why we can sing, as we already have, my heart has found its treasure. Christ is mine forevermore. We have gained him and all that belongs to him. So the next question to ask is, what belongs to him? What is Christ the heir of if we are co-heirs with him? (laughs) The Bible's clear. In Psalm 2, the father says to the son, ask of me. And I will give you the nations as your inheritance, the ends of the earth as your possession. That's a lot. Colossians 1 says that Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. All things were made by him and for him. Him being the firstborn doesn't mean he was the first being created, as the cults would like to tell us. No, he's the uncreated God. It means that he is the heir. He's the firstborn. He's to inherit all of creation. And Hebrews 1 takes it up another notch. It says that God appointed Jesus to be the heir of all things. So all nations, all creation, all things. And we are in on this, beloved. We are in on this. This is astounding and astonishing news. If we could only just get a taste and a glimpse of of who we truly are and what we truly have in the Lord Jesus. So we have obtained an inheritance and God has obtained us as his inheritance in Christ. So we've answered the first question, what is it? But now we have to ask, is our inheritance 
safe? Is it safe? That's the natural next question. This news is so good. It's so glorious that we don't want to miss out on it. There's a documentary that came out several years ago called Born Rich, and it follows the lives of some of the wealthiest heirs and heiresses alive today. These are people who are going to inherit hundreds of millions, in some cases, billions of dollars. And they all have one thing in common besides their wealth. They are terrified of losing their inheritance. They live their lives in the public eye. And if they bring any kind of shame or embarrassment on the public name, they could be written out of the will. And so their whole lives are based around maintaining their inheritance. They live in fear. Is that you? Do you live your life terrified of losing your inheritance? Are you scared that you might mess it up? If so, Paul has good news for you. He wants us to have blessed assurance and he gives us two firm foundations for our hope. He tells us that our inheritance is safe through the Father's provision and the Spirit's protection. Our inheritance is safe through the Father's provision and the Spirit's protection. So first, the provision of the Father. Let's read verses 11 and 12 again of Ephesians 1. In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. Believer, God's choice to give you an inheritance was not an afterthought. He didn't make a rash, last-minute decision to make you His heir, and now He might change His mind. No, this has been prepared for you from before the earth was made. Before God ever said, let there be light, he purposed to give you a gloriously bright inheritance. This is the reality of predestination. Don't let that word scare you. This is not an abstract idea to be debated. It is a Beautiful truth to be cherished. Because we can only have hope if our God is in control of absolutely every detail of existence. And He is. From the hydrogen molecule to the Andromeda galaxy, from the smallest insect to the greatest empire, from eternity past to eternity future, God works all things according to the counsel of His will. If you turn on the news, you will often hear political pundits talking about the, the council or the board of advisors for certain world leaders. Their council is so significant. And who sits on their council? Because they guide these powerful authorities as they make crucial decisions. And Paul is here to tell us that God needs no counsel. He needs no board of advisors. Shockingly, he doesn't even need us. 
and our brilliant advice. He works all things, all things according to the counsel of his will. Our scripture reading this morning was from Romans 11. And pay attention next week as that chapter ends. Because Paul says, oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how unscrutable are his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has become his counselor? The answer is, of course, no one. And why does God need no counselor? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. This God, our God, is not a cold, distant deity. Don't think of him that way. He is our loving Father. So we can trust him that he's working all things for our good and his glory. That is the purpose That's his purpose, that he's working all things in accordance with. We say that a lot. God works things for our good and his glory. Well, here it is in the text. God controls all of existence to both give you an inheritance and to praise his glorious name. We see it twice here at the end of verse 12 and verse 14, to the praise of his glory. That is God's purpose. But notice that God's sovereignty over salvation is not in the least bit in conflict with our responsibility to respond in salvation. They're not at odds with each other. They're good friends. Let's read again verse 13. Right after he said that he predestines all things, he says, in him, in Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, We're sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Sounds a lot like Romans 10. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Saying you heard the word of truth and you believed the gospel. You believed him. This is why we must preach the good news. God has ordained that an elect people will be redeemed to become his inheritance. So we need to go and preach And share our faith and offer this good news. The truth of election should fuel our evangelism, not stifle it. God is sovereign. So the gospel will succeed. And I want to talk to you here, those who may not know the Lord Jesus, that for all the glorious, weighty truths that Paul talks about here, the the gospel is simple. You hear the word of truth. You believe the gospel. If you've been sitting here, you've already heard the word of truth. So I'm calling you. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That he has become a man. God himself has come to us in the person of Jesus Christ. He has lived the perfect life, the law-fulfilling life that we could not live. He has died the death that we deserve to die, to atone for our sins, to satisfy the wrath of God that we deserved and give us the grace of God that we did not deserve. And he rose from the dead, conquered death, and offers eternal life to all 
who turn from their sins and trust in Him. So I'm imploring you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Believe in Him and this will be the gospel of your salvation. So our inheritance is safe through the Father's provision. If that's not enough, it is safe through the Spirit's protection. (laughs) Finally, in this great hymn of praise to the triune God, we get to the work of the Spirit. So let's read verses 13 and 14. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. (laughs) Paul shows us that the Holy Spirit is both the seal and the guarantee of our inheritance. Look at these one by one. The seal. In the ancient world, a king, when he would send an official document, he would roll up the document, the scroll, he would put melted wax on it, and he would stamp his signet ring and seal that document. Think of receiving a letter today with the official seal of the United States government upon it. The seal showed that the document was legitimate and authentic, that it was officially authorized by the king. The seal demonstrated (laughs) that the document was the king's possession under the king's protection. And believer, you have been sealed by the high king of heaven. You've been sealed with the Holy Spirit himself. God has put his mark on you to prove that you are his possession and you will not be tampered with. And when did this happen? You may say, how do I know if I'm sealed with the Spirit? Is this something that happens later in my Christian life, something I have to to do something to, to bring about? No, he says, you were sealed when you believed. If you have believed in Christ, trusted in Christ, then you have been sealed. If you've seen the evidence of the Holy Spirit at work within you, if you've seen a change in your life, if you've trusted the gospel, you've been sealed with the Spirit. We'll see in chapter 2 that even faith itself is a gift wrought by the Holy Spirit. And this should be such an encouragement to us. In Pilgrim's Progress... John Bunyan's classic allegory for the Christian life. Most of us know the scene where Christian, after fleeing from the city of destruction, and he's on his way to the celestial city, to heaven, that he sees the cross. And when he sees the cross, the burden on his back falls off, that burden of sin and guilt and shame. But right after that, three angels come to Christian and each bring good news. The first tells him your sins are forgiven. The second angel takes off his dirty clothes and puts clean white clothing on him to symbolize being clothed in the righteousness of Christ. But the third angel gives him a scroll that's been sealed. 
It says, keep this with you. When you come to the celestial city, give this to the gatekeepers and they will grant you entrance. But also, as you're running your race, as you're going on your pilgrimage, look to the scroll to find encouragement. Continuously look to the seal to find strength for the journey. So as he goes through the sloth of despond, through depression, as he goes through trials up the hill of difficulty, or as his faith is tested in doubting castle, or as he is tempted in vanity fair, he continuously keeps his eyes on that sealed scroll to keep him going. And then when he reaches his journey's end, he goes through the river of death to the celestial city. And he gives them that sealed scroll. And he enters into the joy of his master. And even so, as we live our Christian life, this is what Paul calls us to. In Ephesians chapters 4, 5, and 6, he lays out how we are to live the Christian life. And in chapter 4, verse 30, he says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. He's saying, look to the Spirit's seal upon you. So the Spirit is our seal. He's also our guarantee. This word guarantee, we could translate it in multiple ways. We could say the Spirit is the earnest, the down payment, the first installment of our inheritance. (laughs) When you buy a house, you put down earnest money to show that you are serious about buying that house. You put down a down payment. And this is how serious God is about fully redeeming you. He put down His own Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity Himself, as an earnest, as a down payment for you. This verse, verse 11, could also be translated a different way. We could say the Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance with a view toward the full redemption of God's own possession. And friends, we've already seen that we have become God's possession. And since you are His possession, He has redeemed you with the blood of His Son, and He has given you His Spirit as a guarantee that He will complete His purchase and redeem you fully and forever. But this word guarantee, it could be translated another way. We could say that the Spirit is a pledge or a token. This word was used in the Roman world for a wedding ring. So I want you to think again of Christ as your bridegroom, this time giving you His own Spirit as a ring, as a pledge of His faithfulness and a token of His love. At weddings, the minister will often ask the groom, have you a token to give of your fidelity to this covenant. And putting the ring on the finger of his bride, the groom will say, I give you this ring as a symbol and pledge of my constant faith and abiding love. In the same way, I want you to hear Jesus saying to you, I give you my spirit as a symbol and pledge of my constant faith and my abiding love. Love, he will hold us fast because the Spirit is our seal 
and our guarantee. So my friends, as we close, I want you to know with all your heart that in Christ, you have become God's inheritance and God has become your inheritance and all that belongs to him is yours. This has been provided to you by the Father before the world was ever made. And it is protected by the Spirit who is our seal, our guarantee, our down payment, and our token of faithful covenant love. So I want to end with a question and answer from the Heidelberg Catechism. The question is, what is your only comfort in life and in death? And I hope that everyone in this room can, can say this answer that I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things, all things must work together for my salvation. Because I belong to Him, Christ, by His Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for Him. And this is all to the praise of His glory. Let's pray. Father, we praise You and glorify Your name. We thank You that you have provided redemption for us. You have provided an inheritance. Help us not to neglect so great a salvation. God, I pray that you would give us the spirit of wisdom and insight into the knowledge of you having the eyes of our hearts enlightened, that we might know what is the hope to which you have called us. What are the riches of your glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the great power that is at work in us, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead? God, encourage our hearts. Inflame our hearts today to worship you, Father, Son, and Spirit, to you be all the glory and honor and praise. Amen.